Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We and you are seeking to expel District 86's representation from this house. In a country that was built on a protest. In a country that was built on a protest. You who celebrate July 4th, 1776. Pop fireworks and eat hot dogs. You say to protest is wrong because you spoke out of turn, because you spoke up for people who are marginalized. You spoke up for children who won't ever be able to speak again. You spoke up for parents who don't want to live in fear. You spoke up for for, for Larry Thorne who was murdered by gun violence. You spoke up for people that we don't want to care about. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And celebrating Union Victory Day, where the Confederates took that fat L at Appomattox Courthouse. I am Nick Sperry. Shout out to the governor of uh, Mississippi for Confederate Heritage Month, clown. Oh, okay. That will be cut out uh, on the program today. Nick, we were on vacation last week. We miss anything? Not that I can recall. Yeah. Oh, good. Show's over then. Uh, no, very quick show. Oh, wait a minute, Nick. It says here... A former president of the United States was charged in a New York state court with 34 counts of fraud. I did remember reading that. Ah, See, Nick and I on what happened last week. We've been away. You know, we didn't even know. Former President Trump now becoming the first former U.S. president to face charges. More on that later on in the program. But first, here to help us break down everything that happened last week in the Tennessee State House of Representatives. If you haven't heard this news about the two uh, Democratic members that were expelled, uh, is Christopher Hale, the former Tennessee Democrat, Democratic nominee for Congress, excuse me, 
former staffer to President Obama. We're going to get into that in a second. And Democratic strategist Christopher, Mike and Nick, thank you for hopping on the podcast with us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's been quite a week here in Tennessee. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we're, we're going to get into all of that. You know, it, it's funny because I know you follow our, our show account on Instagram and you and I were exchanging some DMs about this. I, I wanted to get into this because I was getting so many different text messages from people over the, the course of the last couple of days. Are you watching this on TV? Are you are you seeing all of this play out? And, you know, obviously we mentioned here on the show about state politics, local politics and people really being involved in this process. Right. And you saw some of that play out. But for the national audience, for people that maybe weren't paying attention to all of this and what happened here with respect to post the school shooting and the protests that happened at the state house, can you take our audience a 30,000 foot overview of the entire situation and what led to these two members ultimately getting expelled? Absolutely. Of course, on March 27th, which I think a lot of people remember the Monday two weeks ago, um, there was a shooting at Covenant School, which is a private Christian school uh, here in Nashville. Uh, three children killed, three adults. I think the particularities of being a, a religious school as well um, was very striking. Uh, the, the, um, the shooter, um, Audrey Hale, uh, no relation to me, uh, came, came in and uh, after the shooting happened, uh, there was a, a brief respite where really uh, the governor did not speak. Um, that shooting happened on Monday, and we didn't hear from the governor from the state of Tennessee, I believe, until the following Wednesday or Thursday. So there, there, was, there, was, some, there was a vacuum, if you will. And when he gave a speech, um, he did it in a pre-recorded video that was released online, uh, no chance for questions. And he didn't say two words. He didn't say the word gun and the word Nashville. And I think it's going to be very particular here. Um, what happened is the, that week, um, there was three representatives that had a protest in the House floor. We can talk about the details of that protest um, in, in a minute. But really what they did is they showed up in the well of the floor. Um, one, one representative, Justin Pearson from Memphis, had a bullhorn. And uh, the, the, the House session stopped. And so th- I've been following Tennessee politics for a long time. This is normal. Um, we, we have a raucous state house. Um, but then the Speaker of the House uh, went on a right-wing radio station here in Nashville and said it was an insurrection. It was worse than January 6th. And I think I think an honest assessment of that, that's clearly not the case. It was a small disruption. And he said that he was intending to move motions to expel the three members who did this. We thought he was might be bluffing. We thought that this has actually come off a precipice, uh, maybe an empty threat. He removed them from committees. Um, and then on um, on. Thursday, the following week, uh, on Thursday, uh, t- April 5th, he actually moved forward and, and, and did do this. Uh, Thursday, April 6th, uh, there was three expulsion votes. Um, the two black men, young black men, Justin Jones, is very well known here in Nashville. He's been an activist. He's gotten arrested over a dozen times in the past few years, um, protesting the Confederate monuments. Nathan Bedford Forrest, the founder of the KKK monument, was in the state house for, for a long time. Um, he was one of those who was expelled. He was a member of the state house from from Nashville, recently elected. And then another uh, young man, uh, Justin Pearson, who is also new to the scene. He's less known in the Nashville community, more known in Memphis. As we'll talk about later, there, there's really three distinct divisions in Tennessee that are very different from each other. Um, he was expelled, too. Gloria Johnson, a teacher, a, a 60-year-old teacher from Knoxville, Democrat, was not expelled. She had uh, two lawyers come in and defend her, kind of an interesting story. She had the predecessor of Justin Jones, a uh, well-known former leader of the Democrats, uh, um, Mike Stewart, 
And also, oddly enough, a very conservative Democrat from rural Tennessee, a pro-life anti-abortion Democrat, who oftentimes sided with the Republicans on a myriad of issues, but gave a very passionate defense of Gloria Johnson and basically argued that she did not participate in the same degree that the other two did. And so she uh, was exonerated. Now, of course, um, the optics are horrible. You have two young black men um, in the home, the birthplace of the KKK, get expelled from state house, and the one white person did not. And that's caused an uproar. And the Republicans, I don't think, saw what was coming. They didn't understand. Uh, they've been in power for so long in this state, um, a supermajority for a decade plus, that they did not see the, how these, these two young men were going to be idolized and lifted up and have become a national story. Yeah, Christopher, to, to what you're alluding to in terms of the national implications, as you're speaking to it, you know, from an outsider's view, it appears that a, a vote took place, right? And mm-hmm. leading to the expulsion of two people, which shouldn't have happened, uh, just in terms of my own personal view. But when you talk about momentum from what just happened, from your vantage point, with all eyes on Tennessee, what do you think is about to take place? What do you, have you heard has been taking place? And what steps may be in place for these two men to rejoin potentially uh, the state house? but more importantly, for any type of fervor or energy from the Democratic Party coming out of in, in light of the recent situation? Sure. So these two men uh, can be reappointed by state law, can be reappointed um, in an interim basis uh, by their county commissions um, in Nashville, the county commission here at Metro Council intends all, tomorrow to, uh, looks like the votes are there, to reinstate uh, Justin Jones. And in Memphis, it's a little less um, certain. There's another story behind that. There's threats um, from state officials to revoke funding for um, some uh, a FedEx forum, which is the, the um, home of the Memphis Grizzlies, if they reappoint Justin Pearson. But it does appear he has the votes there as well. But here's the, the new... Uh, iteration of this there's rumors on the street that have not been validated that it is not the intention of cameron sexton who serves as the speaker of the house of the state uh here in tennessee to to actually seat these um members and then of course we'll go to the legal battle um that would be i think they i think that speaker sexton has made dumbheaded move after dumbheaded move what you have here is the democratic party in the state of tennessee has raised more money in the past five days than we have in the past five years We've gotten more attention than we have in my, my 34 years of living. Um, he's really made a martyr out of these two men and energized a state party that's been anemic for a long time. Now, you know, Phil Bredesen, our former governor, ran against Marsha Blackburn in, um, in 2018. This man won 95 out of 95 counties in this state um, in 2006. He lost 92 in 95 counties in 2018. We have been down the dumps. And what, what he has done with his unforced air is put some energy in this party. Now, here's what I think is important. This is a very gerrymandered state, but it's also the reality of it is it's a Republican state. About 61% of the state voted for Donald Trump. Um, so this state's not going to be competitive in any capacity statewide. But I do think it's going to create some momentum and maybe help Democrats start investing in red states where, look, any win's a win for us. We, we are 60% Republican, but because of gerrymandering, Republicans control 80% of the seats in the state. Christopher, I'm, I'm glad you just brought brought up just the recent history in Tennessee. You know, it's it's only been 31 years. You know that I say only because I think in some other states it's been much longer than that. That you've had te- members of Tennessee, the majority of which vote for a Democratic uh, candidate for the presidency, most notably Bill Clinton in '92, '96. Yeah. Yeah. And while as you're as you're mentioning the fact that 
you know, say at 60%, it's a very big uphill battle. And you're also alluding to other red states that potentially Democrats may put some energy to. I want to just have you zero in on that and zero in and expand on that about where is that potential for the party, the Democratic Party in this case, to start putting energy into states that, in the case of Tennessee, at one point did support Democratic candidates. Sure. So Tennessee is a very so the history of Tennessee um, is very much still colored by the Civil War. Um, as we know, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican president, a union, uh, a union president. And really what you saw as a backlash against Abraham Lincoln, against the union and the Confederates and, and Democrats were aligned. So from the Civil War to 2010, this state was completely, almost totally in control of the Democratic Party, which is probably hard for a lot of people to imagine. But what's also hard to imagine is how quickly it turned. What Tennessee has never had is a divided government. We don't, that is not something that's in the history and the DNA of Tennessee. It's, it's been one party rule, Democrats for 150 years, now Republicans for 20. But I think what's, what's changed about it is Democrats used to always have the rule vote. The rule vote is very much right now gone for the Democratic Party. But what we never had was the suburban vote. And really what you're seeing, what the goal is from Democratic leaders across the country, but here in the South, is what we call the Atlantification of Nashville. So Atlanta, the suburbs of Atlanta are, of course, why Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are the United States senators from Georgia. Two Democratic senators from Georgia as a southerner was unimaginable 10 years ago. But it's because the Atlanta suburbs, those metros, uh, Buckhead, uh, Marietta, et cetera, um, they, they started becoming bluer and bluer and bluer. And so really what you're looking at is the suburbs of Nashville are the biggest growth areas in the United States of America. And they are increasingly, they're not blue, but they're becoming bluer. So I think the, the suburbs are where the fights have been for Democrats nationally, but in the South, suburbs are our heart. That's where the growth is um, in the South. And it's really where the Democrats need to start competing if they want to have a chance down here. Chris, I'm so glad you mentioned that because we actually had a historian on the program a while back telling us about obviously the historical nature of a black man and a Jewish man getting elected uh, to the yeah. Senate there between Ossoff and, and Warnock. I wanted to ask you uh, on the because you, you kind of surmised at the beginning of all this about why all of this happened. Right. The gun violence that took place, another school shooting here. So many mass shootings that we've had so far just in this early part of the 2023 calendar year. And then Governor Bill Lee's response, which I didn't know was pre-recorded, but he mentioned about um, in that speech about his wife's best friend getting killed yeah. in this. I would love for you to expand for people that don't understand the gun laws in Tennessee, because at the root of all this, it was the protest about gun violence and nothing being done with respect to yet another mass shooting happening in this country. Can you take our audience a little bit inside as somebody who has run uh, to represent the state before what the gun laws look like in Tennessee? And, and how do we uh, to Nick's point about the Democratic Party trying to gain momentum, like how do we gain momentum just on this issue and start to unify people about gun violence that's taking place in this country? Well, so Tennessee has some of the loosest gun laws in the country. And frank, quite frankly, uh, the purveyors, the uh, creators of that were the Democratic Party. Uh, Democratic Party in the South uh, created the current gun laws that really are on the books in the state of Tennessee. There has been some attempt to slightly loosen those, but most of the gun laws in Tennessee we've seen have, have been in place because of Democratic majorities and Democratic governors and the rest. Democrat. Uh, Tennessee has some of the, I think, the highest gun ownership in the United States per capita. So it is a very gun-heavy culture. However, that is a rural reality. Uh, gun ownership is 
much higher in rural Tennessee. And what we see is the violence or the biggest concern about the violence, at least on the political indicator where it's making the biggest effect is in suburbs. Uh, my niece and nephew, I'm from Rutherford County, which is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. I come from a pretty conservative family. Um, but, you know, my my my, my sister-in-law, her, her children, my niece and nephew had to, had to, had to go get out of school for a day for uh, to have a school safety day. Um, just to, to be prepared for a shooting after the covenant shooting. Suburban women in particular are not married to the gun culture that has made, that has been so distinct in Tennessee. And so guns are an area where I think there is political movement to be had. Um, right now, we know that in some of the wealthiest conservative areas of the state, uh, people support expanded background checks. They, they support um, red flag laws. They disagree with concealed carry. And so there is room for movement on these issues, um, at least in the electric. But the way the gerrymandered reality of Tennessee works in our state house, there's no chance of this being passed anytime soon. But it can be a political wedge issue to run on, which is unimaginable to me to say 20, 30 years ago, no one could run on gun reform in Tennessee and expect to have a day. Have a day. Um, but I think there is an opening, particularly in these suburban communities, where where most of these school shootings happen are upscale conservative uh suburban communities, I think there is movement on this issue. Christopher, as we're talking, as the nation is looking now at Tennessee, you know, obviously guns being a, a priority issue, regardless of political party, just the reality of the state. For you, you know, being on the ground, what are the other priorities that the state of Tennessee should be addressing? You know, currently against U.S. News report, um, Tennessee's overall ranking as a state, I think, ranks at like 21st in the country, um, not particularly high in education. Um, but but in from where you stand on that, what seems to be the priorities that are just currently not being addressed the state house? You know, I, I think what we just talked about is an incredible it's an incredible disposition. We've talked about most of the most of the past 15 minutes about the suburbs. And the suburbs and urban communities of Tennessee are growing. Nashville, so Middle Tennessee is growing expanding, the life expectancy is increasing, the quality of education, healthcare is growing. But rural Tennessee and rural, the rural South, where was the historic heart of my party, is falling by the wayside. Um, I do not think the Republican legislature has done, done enough or anything on these issues, but they do, they do talk better on these issues. They don't resolve healthcare, but they'll, they'll, they'll communicate in ways, um, some might argue dog whistles, that, that appeal to rural communities. But I think that the Democratic Party, if we ever do get in power in this state, really the number one issue is health care. Um, right now um, in Tennessee, in rural Tennessee, you can get better, better health care um, in Baghdad. And that's not a joke. Um, there is better health care in Iraq than in rural Tennessee. The, the maternity, the rural mater, uh, maternity death rate here in Tennessee is some of the lowest in the country. Um, you know, it's interesting. I remember when John Kerry was running for president in 2004. He talked about he, he made this argument against the Iraq war. He said, you know, we're 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 building hospitals in Baghdad and we're closing we're closing down fire halls in Boston. And I think that's actually an argument to be made is we are we are not investing enough in rural communities in rural Tennessee. Um, and I think that that's something that our party needs to fight for rural investment. People enjoy the rural way of life, um, but that is not something that's easily passed down. Um, kids are leaving small town Tennessee and going to Nashville, going out of state, but they want opportunities. 
in these small communities. And obviously with the, the advent of the tele-digital economy, there's possibilities there, but there's not enough investment. So I think this is the biggest issue that we face is rural healthcare, education, and opportunities um, outside of the big cities of this state. You know, Christopher, um, one thing I wanted you to touch on for us was because now as uh, Representative Pearson and Jones have been making the TV rounds, I saw them recently on MSNBC and they were talking about uh, Shelby County threatening to withhold some of the funding for these guys that got expelled if they are sent back as the representative. I would love for you to expand a little bit on that. And what do you think prognostication hat being placed on your head right now? What do you think happens here with both of these two representatives that are representing such a large swath of Tennesseans out there? Uh, Are they going to be sent back? And what do we see as the forecast for the next couple of months shaking out here in Tennessee? So I think if they aren't sent back, um, I I am surprised at the silence of national Republicans. I'm surprised that actually, quite frankly, that someone like Mitt Romney hasn't spoken up on this issue. But at some point, uh, these guys are not taking directives from from the RNC. No one's calling. Trump hasn't called uh, Governor Lee or or Speaker Sexton. But this is clearly not a good issue for Republicans nationally. It actually might gain, truly, it might gain a point or two um, among the culture war issues here in the state. It might actually help them locally, but it's hurting them nationally. So I am surprised that no one has called in the troops um, from from D.C. There's not been phone calls made to Governor Lee. Governor Lee has been strangely silent on this expulsion issue. He doesn't want to touch it. Um, but I do think that there's likely going to be at some point where there's an intervention here, because what's happening is they are hurting themselves. They're stepping they're, they're stepping on their uh, uh, on, on their candidate's foot. They're stepping on the national national party's foot. I mean, think about it. In the last week, the former president of the United States of America got indicted. And on the front, that would happen on what, Tuesday? On the Monday, Tuesday? And on the front page of the Sunday New York Times and the Washington Post, that was below the fold. This has become the centerpiece issue. And it's not a winning issue. I think the vast majority of Americans do not think that this was worthy of expulsion. But more importantly, the way I very, very quickly, very honestly frame it is in response to these shootings, these deaths, um, these killings of our, our neighbors, of three of God's children, We asked for action on gun reform, and in response, the Tennessee GOP expelled three members for standing up against gun violence. And so that's not responsive. So my prognostication is I do think this is going to end, but I think it's going to end not because of what's happening here. I think think there's going to be a call that's going to have to be made because they're embarrassing the the national party. No one, Ted Cruz is not jumping for joy at this. Uh, Donald Trump isn't as well. No one's supporting this because it's not a winning issue. Well said. Christopher Hale, like I mentioned, he's a former Democratic nominee for Congress, former staffer to President Obama. Can't thank you enough. You're the first person I thought of, mainly because we follow each other on social media. But as you were tweeting out some of this stuff about what took place in Tennessee and some of the articles you were posting out, I was like, I got to reach out to him, have him on the program. Thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. And welcome back anytime too, my friend. Thank you so much. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, quick break from the podcast to tell you about the good folks over at Fresh Roasted Coffee, the official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. You know, Nick, I want to do this different, this ad read. You hear the music in the background, but... Let's tell the people about what we truly like about Fresh Roasted Coffee. I'm going to go first because I love their Colombian Supremo. It's my favorite K-Cup. Uh, everybody in my family has been ordering it. It's it, You can smell it when you're putting it in the K-Cup machine. It's just so delicious and refreshing to know that I don't have to go with some of these other brands that are out there, that their coffee just doesn't translate into K-Cups for me. And you know I'm a big K-Cup guy. And I just, I just love what fresh roasted coffee brings me in the morning. I know I can make my cup of coffee, make my omelet, have my breakfast ready to go. What do you love about fresh roasted coffee, Mister Mister Coffee Snob Aficionado? I love the fact that they've turned my, they've turned my coffee setup into the best coffee shop in town. You know, about a mile down the road from me is a a coffee company known for a particular shade of green. Shall we say? I haven't stepped foot in there since you've introduced me to fresh roasted coffee love it they have absolutely this company folks i gotta tell you fresh roasted coffee turned my home into the best coffee shop in town now mike talked about flavors i am a vanilla person every time i order from fresh roasted coffee by the way can we get 20 we'll make sure you say 20 percent off your first order when i order vanilla the hazelnut coconut it's my, it's my holy trinity of coffee. Respect. <laughs> um, and it never fails. It comes in the box, ready to go. It's the perfect blend of flavor, but also strength. Because when I wake up in the morning, I want a strong cup of coffee. But I also want to get that flavor, too. And in a French press, as soon as I push it down, four minutes, of course, let it steep. Just get it right. I'm good to go, and I'm blowing through the coffee. I mean, these folks at, at Fresh Rose of Coffee know every few weeks I'm calling in. And if you want to, folks, you can be a subscriber, too, like I'm going to become. Mike, they've <laughs> they've turned my home into the ultimate coffee experience. I can't, I can't put it any better than that. I mean, you really can't sum it up better than that. And like Mr. Severi mentioned, you go to FreshRoasterCoffee.com right now. Not only coffee, they have tea as well. They're Positively Tea sister brand. But you put all of this stuff, you go onto their site, you take their quiz, you get the coffee, you get the tea, you get the mugs, anything you want. When you get to checkout, enter in the promo code, can we get 20 to get 20% off the delicious coffee? Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today.
All right. Our thank yous there to Christopher Hale. Like I mentioned, former Democratic nominee for Congress out there in Tennessee, former staffer to President Obama. It's funny because I, I as we transition to our last segment here, I, I was thinking about who could we get on to talk about this stuff, right? Obviously, I did. And our bookers have reached out to uh, Representative Pearson and Jones and Gloria Johnson as well. But so oversaturated uh, with respect to the television interviews they've done over the last 72 hours or so uh, across all of these outlets. And um, I just wanted to get somebody to explain a little bit more of like Tennessee politics and really at the root of all this was gun violence, a protest over gun violence. I'm so glad he mentioned about the January 6th stuff. It's not equatable. And you know who is equating those, uh, you know, making those parallels. I mean, this is a protest at a state house. No one's breaking windows. No one's throwing anything or fighting police officers and, and equating it to January 6th is nonsensical. Speaking of January 6th, the former president of the United States, God, my transitions are phenomenal, Nick, but the former president of the United States this week, Nick, as we were away on vacation about maybe seven, eight days ago when we were recording, uh, he had just gotten indicted. And we were waiting to see what the unsealment of that indictment looked like in a Manhattan uh, court on this past Tuesday. If you were not paying attention, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, out there in Manhattan actually had a press conference and he kind of explained all of the charges that were facing the former president. Take a listen to this. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. Now, one thing I want the audience to remember there is Michael Cohen, the former attorney uh, for the former president, pled guilty and went to federal prison in part because he admitted that his payment to Stormy Daniels amounted to an illegal campaign contribution. He already admitted that. That has already entered into the record as part of that case. Cohen admitted that the payment was made to promote Trump's electoral chances. Killing a story like this that would have made headlines about Trump having an extramarital affair. And uh, there's audio recordings that Cohen recorded Trump saying pay in cash as opposed to having this paper trail, and then obviously where we are right now with respect to the falsifying of business records there. You know, in our last step, like I said, um, we didn't really cover, um, we talked about that the indictment had happened, and obviously they were preparing to get former President Trump from Mar-a-Lago up to New York, and all of the happened circumstance that happened with that, similar to the OJ driving down a freeway in, in California, it was kind of the same thing, driving from the airport, uh, landing in New York. You got all of the major networks covering this, photographs of the former president walking into the Manhattan courthouse, pleading not guilty on all 34 counts. There was a bunch made of the lawyers outside of the courthouse, the Trump team's three lawyers that are on this specific case. The lead counsel, obviously, Joe Tacopina, a former CNN legal analyst who contributed to the network, who in 2018 outlined when he was talking about Michael Cohen's charges, outlined the root cause of this case. And if anything were to ever be brought against a former president, it would be this. So, so funny that and here we are five years later and he's actually defending the man that he talked about 
on television. What do you make, uh, Nick, of of everything here as we listen to uh, the DA here, Alvin Bragg, and his comments, excuse me, in the press conference. You can go check out that press conference online. And he really laid out the charges. I mean, again, fundamental to all of this is the allegations that Trump and others entered into an agreement to buy the silence of people who wanted to share these stories about the candidate at the time who ended up becoming president. What, what do you make of all of this? Because we haven't really spoken about now that the indictments unsealed and the charges. And again, what this all amounts to with respect to prison time, political future of the current front runner for the GOP in 2024. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what this does for Trump, um, I don't I don't know. I think some people have engaged in um, exaggeration about yeah, does this somehow embolden the the former president? Does he somehow get more votes? Which I don't understand. I think things are so polarized at this point in this country that no one's really on the fence about Donald Trump. Like if you support him, you do. No one's swaying toward him in light of this. Um, but as I've been reading through just the details, you know, in um for this indictment, I mean it comes down to what you just said. You know, they there's a way of proving that money was used to pay someone but it was done you know under the guise of essentially a form of money laundering you're basically paying one person who pays someone else and and yet you look at the way the money trail works and in the state of new york that's considered illegal so you know when you read the transcript of of all this stuff it's it's a question of there's enough obviously to indict and the question is now before jury you know looking at these same charges are they going to you know come into the same place i I've struggled with what this means for for the former president in terms of electability. I mean, I, I appreciate what you just said a moment ago. Like he's, you know, according to polls, and again, polls, I mean, you, you should always look at the number, folks. Like, you know, when fifteen hundred people are asked, and it says like eighty five percent, okay, the eighty five percent is great, but just you know, how many people were asked this question? Trump still out is out distancing Ron DeSantis considerably, and every other member of the GOP. And you know, the larger conversation there is that. If Trump somehow gets this nomination, his track record against Biden isn't good. And that's a get not just from the 2020 election. I mean, there's no poll out there, just generally speaking, that has him winning against Joe Biden. So unless Biden steps down and it's either you know Vice President Harris or someone else in the party, like I don't see a way for Trump to get enough momentum. It really comes down to a question of, you know, in 2020. You know, there were Trump supporters or Republicans who did not support Trump that just either that voted for Biden or didn't show up in a rematch. If that's what it comes down to, are those same people going to then side with the president? And it'll be interesting because, you know, economically speaking, with inflation, um, you may see a, a movement there. But I I just don't see it. It is annoying, though, that. But it's based on polling data that he's clearly the nominee. So, you know, no one has stepped forward. It's annoying in the sense of, you know, right now we have a person who's basically, you know, charged with a crime. So before we even talk about this person's of electability, can we have a conversation of how viable is this case? And from what I'm reading, it looks very viable. And we've had legal analysts come on recently and talk about the same thing. And that seems to be where the conversation should be. Not, you know, yeah, whatever. 2024, what's Trump's chances? I, I don't know. Right, right. I mean, one big thing I wanted to tell you, though, is that a senior aide to former President Trump, Jason Miller, 
said on Twitter, I think he posted this April 3rd, three days since the news of the indictment. This is before he even got to New York to sit in that courthouse and plead not guilty. They raised $7 million, $7 million uh, for the campaign raised since the indictment. Again, that total could be more. Meanwhile, this is according to CNBC, a super PAC that is backing Ron DeSantis said it raised $30 million since it launched last month. That's a lot of money being thrown around for both candidates. Uh, in, in all honesty, uh, I've mentioned this a bunch when I think the last time when the indictment news was coming out um, and you mentioned the Al Capone reference about eh, tax evasion, right? I feel the same way right here. And again, not rooting for anything to happen to the former president, because again, it's an indictment to me of the people who voted for him, right? Like we were all told about not necessarily that he would be charged with crimes eventually at the end of his presidency. We were all told about this person has shady business dealings with not only his casinos, his businesses in the private sector. He has mismanaged money with respect to that. Uh, and he's always been in the news uh, with respect to different things that have happened throughout his life. Then some may seem nefarious. And now as he became president of the United States, he could say he's above the law in certain instances. And we're seeing that play out right now. And the other two cases, like Sarah Azari said, and go check out that episode when she came on the program, the, the criminal defense attorney and now News Nation contributor as a legal analyst, she, she mentioned it. Uh, this is not the one that I would point to. The one I would point to is whatever happens with special counsel and the documents, because that is actually there's the president saying these documents are mine, defying a subpoena and his lawyers there, even a lawyer for him representing him in that case. Uh, was recently on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And when asked about why is the president defying the subpoena, saying that he's entitled to these records on a Sean Hannity interview, he says, what about President Biden? What about Vice President Pence? I've never seen a lawyer play the whataboutism game because you can't tend to do that in the court of law. And I posted on Twitter, I would, I would advise former President Trump that he should get new legal counsel if that's what that guy's strategy is to play the whataboutism game because that doesn't work in the, in the court of law. I mean, there's fact and fiction you had these documents in your possession. They were not yours. You were notified by the national archives. You didn't turn that over within a timely manner. You defied a subpoena. Like all these things happen. These are not things that are being refuted by the Trump campaign. What they're saying is he's entitled to them. He declassified them in his mind, if you remember. So I'm more focused on what will play out later on. But in terms of these, uh, in terms of the New York case, excuse me, Again, somebody went to jail for this already, and that guy said, this guy told me to do it. More on that case as we follow it along over the next couple of months. However long that case takes to come to court, we'll be following it along and have legal analysts help break it down along the way. Uh, speaking of legal analysts that have been on this program, you want to watch them on YouTube, our YouTube channel. Can we please talk podcast? Type it in to YouTube there. Hit the subscribe button for me, please. Audio podcast platforms, you know by now. Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods. Shout out to everybody who listens to us on Good Pods. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program. As always, I am Mike Leon. I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.